Uh, ready to go? Yeah. Going good? Yeah. I think you're a little hot. <laughs> Bjork. 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 Don't make fun of the Icelandic right. language. It's they a beautiful make fun of our old language. language. It is a beautiful old language. It's justified and ancient. When I was at Snapchat, I did a couple of stories that were in Iceland, and you could tell there was a certain flavor of person that was like over uh overdoing the Icelandic accent as like a way of making fun of it because if they got chosen to be in the story then they would be like oh, oh re- like, representing Iceland yeah. yeah but they would just be like hello we are here today at this like and I was like barely able to I was like I think they're taking the piss but that's the problem is like they needed an, so wild I they're, shouldn't have even been doing that job whole, an Icelander should have been doing we that should get job. it all out now it's a whole it's such a wild place a whole country on an island, and there are only 300,000 of them. It's insane. And there have been that just 300,000 of them, I mean, only like in the last century, because, you know, remember when we were looking at that graph of population? It was like 10,000 of them. How could I forget? From like the year 800 to the year 1910. They were basically a well-maintained small town. Yeah, they're, they're like gated communities with more people <laughs> than lived ca- in, in Iceland since the year 800 to the year 1910. They were the Calabasas of the of, of the Arctic of the, Ocean. Of the Northern Atlantic, yes. Yep. They were, yeah. Um, they're wild. Shout out to all the Icelanders out there. God damn. Uh, we love you guys. You guys are just wilding. <laughs> Up there with all, with all that fish and rocks. Fish, rocks, geothermal water. energy. Yeah, geothermal energy. York has some things to share to say about geothermal energy. I hope she's pro. She is, uh, but she wants to keep she wants to keep Canada out of Iceland's geothermal energy reserves. Oh, res- wait, what? Yeah, I'll, okay. we'll get to it later. All Let's right. start the episode. Okay, here we go. Welcome to And Introducing, a podcast about words, about music. I'm Chris Wade. And I'm Molly O'Brien. And introducing, from Iceland, our NATO ally to the north, it's Bjork. All the way from Iceland, our NATO ally, ladies and gentlemen, the Sugar Cubes. The most famous musician from the isolated North Atlantic island, Bjork has built an incredible career and international fame from her unique voice and genre-exploring, endlessly idiosyncratic music. And today we'll be exploring all things Bjork from her coffee table book, Bjork, mm-hmm. and a 2004, 2004. I'm not going to be able to get through this, a 2004 Bjork New Yorker story <laughs> called Bjork's Saga. <laughs> the New Bjorker. The New Bjorker. Man. Rename it. Give her a special editorship and rename it The New Bjorker. I would at, at least buy that episode off the newsstands. Uh, that that uh, that magazine? That I, would hit, I would hit the, the streets and pick it up. New Bjork magazine. New Bjorker. Uh, New, New York, New Bjork. The New Bjork Times. The New Bjork Times. Uh, we should get it all, all out of our system now. And we're not even saying it. Right. We're not saying it correctly. That's important to know at the drop is that the correct way. Uh, first of all, I'm not going to be able to do this, but I do think it is important. The correct way to pronounce her name is Bjerk. Bjerk. Gurimansdottir. Bjerk. 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 It's Bjerk like, uh, uh, I don't know what rhymes with it. <laughs> jerk? Bjerk like jerk, not Bjork like stork. Okay. Uh, that being said, I'm not going to be able yeah, to adhere got, to we're that. We're just going to go with Bjork. I've had over 20 years of pronouncing Bjork. I will Bjork, justify that sorry. even in like in an anglophone tongue, the the formation of Bjork just feels more natural. Sure. 
Uh, Molly, I got to say right off the bat, and you've maybe been sensing this from me over the last week or so, uh, I have felt a little more intimidated mm. of tackling a Bjork episode yes. with uh, limited knowledge than almost any other artist that we've covered on here. Because most of the other people, I feel like, even if I have a kind of limited background on them, that I have a kind of an understanding of their careers and trajectories and or could find analogies to them or have at least some exposure or background to mm-hmm. like what their deal is and what their place in pop culture is. But there's something that's so toweringly idiosyncratic about Bjork's origin, trajectory, career, style, uh, output, yep. um, performance that I've been kind of probably why this episode's a, a you know a week later than we wanted to kind of been kicking this down this down the road yeah. because I'm not especially because spoiler we don't have a proper book or memoir to go off of. I tried. I tried to get a proper book. And we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Uh, but yeah, no, I I agree. It's I've been a little I've in in the same way uh and I've been listening to to Bjork for a long time. Um uh, but I haven't really like fully delved into the catalog. But yes, she is a towering figure of like basically avant-garde of Bjorkness modern pop. She is a truly unique specimen. She is. There's Uh, no one like her. And I try, there is no one like her. She doesn't fit any other mold or doesn't really hit any other, uh, pegs or, or things that we would expect from other artists. She's a lone read. She is a lone read. And on top of that, it's not just that it's that her work is, is not just unique, but also very serious and wide ranging. Yes. Serious, I would say, like, although she has a sense of humor. She does some, have a sense of humor. But yes, it's it's um it's a an oeuvre. Yeah, it is an oeuvre. It's not just like a bunch of albums. And yeah, stuff. and she's not just like a very unique pop star. It's like a you know, it's, she's like the kind of performer that gets like a MoMA rep- retrospective, <laughs> right? <laughs> Can and does. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and crosses boundaries. That like one thing that I here here's my I was th- uh, teasing a Death Grips joke. Mm. The kind of person that you see in their Wikipedia page. Uh, goes directly from one sentence to another. Uh, was invited to collaborate with Death Grips. Considers David Attenborough her chief, one of her chief influences. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, she's a uh, she's a true like re- I would say Renaissance woman. That's not quite true. She's her, she's a, she's a she is the greatest Bjork of the world. She's the best Bjork we've ever seen. She is the she is we frankly we we're not seeing more and more Bjorks. She is. I I wonder if part of the reason it is so hard to uh pro plumb her depths is that she, like a female genius is like a little weird like mm-hmm. I, and she's a nice genius we'll talk about that well, a little bit for more two notable uh exceptions yeah we'll talk about that as well but she is to, from my understanding at least from what was portrayed in the new yorker profile which was by alex ross this was when she was recording her album medulla which i think yes. was like maybe seventh album six or seven solo Early- album Early mid two thousands, two thousand four era. This is definitely the the album that came out. So it, let's go into experience with them. Like I feel like my first, probably your first interaction confrontation with Bjork was, of course, the Swan Dress. Yes, that was my first awareness. Awareness of, who, what, uh, uh, of what Bjork your first was. encounter with Bjork, and that and my reaction, as I think a lot of people's reactions, maybe our age would be, is like people were losing their minds calling her worst dress. Welcome to Ms. Mojo, and today we'll be counting down our picks for the top 10 worst Oscar outfits of all time. Number one, Bjork, 73rd Academy Awards. This outfit not only stands out as one of the most notorious moments in Oscar history, 
but also in pop culture in general. Like, not sure what to do with her. And I'm like, what is the big deal? I think she looked pretty cool. Yes, it's a cool dress. Yeah, and then also is this idea that nobody, even if you're watching pop culture commentary as like, what, I think that was 2001 Oscars, so we were been like yeah. 13, 11 or so, uh, something around yeah. then. Even the, the projection onto you in that pop culture era was that she is she's not of this. She's not a regular Hollywood celeb. She's no. something that is like adjacent to this world. Right. Who is quote unquote artsy, but in like a bad way or a way we should be suspicious of in some in She's some way. She's like desecrating the very like notion of putting on a pretty dress yeah, to go exactly. receive your acting award. Uh, I believe it was uh, for a soundtrack. A soundtrack. Cause for, it was for Dancer in the Dark, but she was in that movie. But, but it, the award that she was getting was for... Um, Soundtrack contribution. Just like Lady Gaga. I the meat dress, yes. Got, well, no, not the meat. Oh, c- parallel. Yes. Lady Gaga also wore a dress that lots of people made fun of. But I was going to say Lady Gaga in uh, Star is Born was nominated, I'm pretty sure, for music, but not acting for I thought Oscars? she did get a Or did she supporting. get a? Yeah. Mm. Well, but she I didn't win. Going. Yeah. And I, w- <laughs> I wish she did. No. the Yes. The, that was my first awareness of Bjork. 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 Um, but I didn't. The first time I listened to her, if we can get into this, was a very specific experience that I remember very clearly. Uh, my father was a big fan of music print media. As I've said on the show before, he was a Rolling Stone subscriber. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also bought a lot of like specialty imported music magazines from abroad that had CD inserts. And I'm pretty sure the music magazine I'm thinking of is Q, which is Q British. Magazine. Did you ever read Q magazine? No, but I, Q magazine would do some pretty good lists. And I remember getting a, uh, my hands on a list of Q magazines, a hundred greatest guitar tracks, mm. which was a stellar list of guitar songs. We had that, that one. From, yes. <laughs> yeah. They would do everything from, you know, your standard like Led Zeppelin ones. But I'm pretty sure that that was like my first interaction with like the band television. Okay. Ooh. And like magazine mm. and like some, some, the hundred greatest guitar tracks Q magazine list is definitely something I like sought out each individual track over Kazaa and something and like cobbled that together on an early MP3 player for me. For totally. Myself. Also, I'm sure the magazine itself was like, eight dollars which is like just enough to be like all right this is some serious business (laughs) this is a this is wow there's some uh arcane music lore contained within these uh, expensive tomes i got yeah i gotta to really uh parse this shit um but yeah no that i can't i don't even think it was a particular theme i think it was just like q was like yeah here's some fucking music in like a little (laughs) in a little cd Yeah, whatever here's it's march here's our fucking mute tracks but one of the tracks which uh i didn't realize at the time was from pre like her first i'm pretty sure it was her first solo album which was gling glow mm-hmm. which was from 1990 and it was jazz it was fucking jazz music yes and it was the song ruby baby mm-hmm. and i was like obsessed i listened to this that was my first experience of listening to bjork which is in some way, like I'm sure there was a lot of people that that was their first experience of listening to bjork because it was her first solo album and it's just like a fucking jazz, jazz song standard. with like a tree a trio maybe. I got a girl in Ruby is a She don't love me, but I love her just the same. Ruby Ruby how I want to like a ghost on
<laughs> you know, wild. You know what I sometimes think about uh, when I was first. I feel like when I was this age, I was like maybe uh, uh, getting Isabella Rossellini and Bjork confused. They look similar. And have a similar vibe. Yeah. A, 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 a dark pixie vibe. Yeah. That's a Lieber and Stoller song, by the way, um, from the 50s. Anyway, like that, that was my first experience of her. I've, and then I've listened to her kind of intermittently in like different formats ever since. I would always call myself a fan, but honestly listening to her in preparation for this podcast, when I was like, Bjork fucking rules. <laughs> she combines the, the analog and the digital and she has the range. She's uh, that voice is insane. I feel like, so around this time, like post Bjork swan dress awareness, the, mm-hmm. the next album that would be coming out for me to be aware with was maybe Medulla, mm-hmm. uh, which was, I believe sold as like an all vocals album, yeah, right? Correct. And so I think I engaged with her then as like a um, almost like a novelty or something. Is like, oh, this person like puts out, you know, out, like she's a pop artist, but it's like it doesn't really use pop instruments. Like I hadn't gone back and investigated her like nineties yeah. output at this point. And then later I realized, you know, I knew that she was in like what was also sold in the in the narrative. Though I don't know how much you would actually actually call this a like a post punk band of the Sugar Cubes, right? Uh, and started off as that, and then had a string of albums in the '90s. But I, you know, I, I never really like engaged with her. Uh, my one of my old roommates, Eric, is very much into Bjork, uh, like in a devoted fan kind of way, and would play Bjork all the time in our house. And so I kind of passively <laughs> absorbed Bjork music and did not not like it. I mean, here's already maybe another hot take for me. Mm. I feel I I like Bjork music in a way that I feel like I'm being told I should like Radiohead music. I understand that. I mean, I think she has a similar, if anything, like relationship with like treating music. I, she, I don't think any of the Radiohead boys are classically trained exactly, but like Bjork is someone who is like classically trained and like that deeply influences things. So right. I feel like you're maybe a little bit allergic to like music theory leading the way. Maybe. I don't know. Or is it just, are you allergic to you gotta? I, it's more allergic to you gotta. It's more just like, I just it, it doesn't vibe with me, but I I don't know. May, you know, honestly, it's maybe that uh, those first '90s albums were more a little bit electronic and house music mm-hmm. influenced. Yeah, and I do enjoy that part of them. Yes, some of them go pretty hard. Yeah, all is full of love. Yes, <laughs> which covered which I have to say in the mid aughts when I was an adolescent, uh, a lot of times I would hear music for the first time as a cover. By like an emo act or similar, sure. and so I heard Death Cab for Cuties, Always Full of Love, before <laughs> I heard Bjork's, which is sad, but whatever. No, it's still good. Both both songs are good. Um, should we get into like her biography? Which yeah. I, I well, do you want to describe what we're what we're reading out of yeah, today? Yeah, I will describe what's happening. I know we are a podcast about words about music, and I tried to find a a, a Bjork about Bjork, <laughs> a, and, a Bjork book. You know, there's probably a lot of like biographies or sort of like fan nonfiction ish mm-hmm. that happens a lot where you find things that have like three Goodreads reviews and you're like, what is this? Mm-hmm. Um, but I found a book called Bjork by, by Bjork. Bjork. And I read here, I got to read you the description from uh, my apologies, Amazon. <laughs> uh, a breathtaking photographic odyssey 
through Bjork's career, a stunning visual and literary companion to one of the most original performers of our time, Bjork promises to be like no book you've ever seen. And this was released uh, coinciding with Vespertine, which is 2001. Okay. So it's also quite old mm-hmm. uh, in, in the grand scheme of things. But I really, I, I, maybe I just misunderstood because I saw, I thought it was a book but it's mostly photographs. It's a coffee table book. It's a coffee table book. It's like 95% photos. There's like a couple of essays there, one of which makes absolutely no sense. (laughs) There's an interview, a short interview, a conversation really between her and David Attenborough. She loves, she fucking loves David Attenborough. Which I think makes a lot of sense because I think we can get into that too. We can read a little snippet of it. They're they're vibing. Yes. They vibe. Uh, but other than that, it's basically just like photos of her. But I think we can get into a conversation maybe at the end because I do think she has an interesting relationship with like the image of herself and the yes. way that has changed throughout her career. Uh, and yeah, she is a striking figure. Yes. Uh, can I look at some of the images or do you have like things that you need to read directly? I don't have anything that I need to read directly, so you can look. Okay, great. Do I know mind that if I peruse while we pod? You can peruse. I think you'll enjoy it. Yeah, great. Um, But... I didn't pay $46 for this, did I? <laughs> well, we better get a really nice coffee table for I'll this write it. On. I'll write it off in my taxes. Yeah, although... This is a work expense. Well, actually, we don't der- derive any income from this. Yeah. Folks, we should create a Patreon where you can just pay us $1 for this. So uh, that for the explicit purpose that we can write off all the books that we buy for this because we derive an income for them. Sure. Yes. Um, but I, I, in looking for text about Bjork that would be somewhat more informative than that <laughs> enigmatic photo book. Um, I found the New Yorker profile. Yeah, you know. She's got her hands down her pants. Yeah. <laughs> Through a podcast, it's really not really not helpful. Yeah, I could describe these books. It's a lot of just pictures of Bjork's face, which is a very good face. It's a good face. And they're already pictures, but like honestly I with mean, some of the most iconic like photographers of the like past couple of decades. Yeah. You can tell her who I mostly knew through like Mark by Mark Jacobs ads. <laughs> anyway. Um, Bjork but, by Bjork Jacobs. Bjork by... <laughs> Stop it. Um, the main... The, the only thing I've learned in my research about Bjork is that she's a fucking Scorpio. Oh, okay. Well, I feel like from what I know about astrology that she projects big Scorpio energy. Um, as of our current recording right now, she had her birthday three days ago. Happy birthday, Happy Bjork. birthday, Bjork. Happy Bjork Day. Um, <laughs> Stop. You're going to kill me. <laughs> Oh no. Um so yes, this this New Yorker profile uh which was basically the writer following her in the few months before she like when she was kind of like recording and finishing Medulla. Mm-hmm. Um but then there's some good biographical info so I figure we can kind of like draw a sketch of her life of this enigmatic uh manic pixie dream girl of sorts. Yes. D- that's a fraught thing to call her. Um so she was born on November 21st, 1965, born in Reykjavik. Um, at the time of the writing in 2004, she was a creator of seven solo albums, including, uh, involving English, American, Indian, Iranian, Brazilian, Danish, Turkish, and Inuit musicians. Yes. Uh, and we'll, we'll get to her like worldliness in a bit, but she's the daughter of an electrician. Yes. She is like the, the pinnacle of what you would call a world citizen. She is a global citizen. Yes. You know, the, it was like the global, global citizens citizen. fest, but it's always Coldplay. Yeah. <laughs> Coldplay, like, they would like to think that they're global citizens. No, they're British. Yeah, they are British. Bjork is, is a global. global citizen. Yes. She did that thing for the 2004 Atlanta Olympics. 
Did you get to this? No. Or not Atlanta. Athens Olympics. I don't think so. Uh, where she sang in the introduction and she had like a dress that unfolded to be like a map of the world. Like she's somebody who sings at the beginning of the Olympics. <laughs> she's an, a beginning of the Olympics singer. That yeah. is a category. And if you want to look up other people who've done who've that. Who've done that. Uh, besides Blur. <laughs> besides Blur and uh, and um, um, Bonkers. Bon- Dizzy Rascal. Dizzy Rascal. One of my She's favorite- an elite category, including herself and Dizzy Rascal. Um. First of all, no disrespect on Dizzy Rascal's name at all. Love that guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, what one of our favorite things? Do you think I'm dying to figure out how to stream something? We could probably that won't get us in trouble. But do you think we could stream the? I I would love to have a marathon stream of the uh 2012 London Olympics opening ceremony because I have never seen such an insane live performance of music, dance, and media. And I've seen Cats on Broadway. <laughs> it, it is Cats-like in its, its cats execution. Who directed the shit? Anyway, different topic. We can we can deal with that later. What are you trying to play? Oh, I'm just, I'm looking at the uh, Bjork opening of the Olympics. Bjork Olympics. Yes. So she is the daughter of an electrician um, who actually ended up becoming the head of the Icelandic Electricians Union. Hey, Which I'm sure has like... Th- Five guys in it. <laughs> yes. Um, and her... Yes, the, Iceland, the Icelandic uh, Electricians Union could definitely meet in this apartment. <laughs> and I would. I hope they would. I would invite them to. They are invited. They're invited, if you're out there. Um, and her mother was a feminist activist, which is apparently something you can have a profession as, as a wife and mother in, in Iceland. Iceland, uh, Iceland uh, while we were there, we also learned, had one of the first female prime ministers of any country in the world. And I don't mean to uh, more female drone bombers this but she actually seemed pretty fucking cool look i don't i i i don't know this but i'm gonna go ahead and guess that uh she did not order any extrajudicial assassinations on behalf of the uh sovereign nation of iceland if she did we're happy to be corrected <laughs> we are not happy honestly if a nice if we have any, any icelandic uh listeners who want to send us an email a detail of the uh, Iceland's atrocities in the 20th century that we would be happy to correct ourselves on them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I'm sure there are some. One of the... Um, Iceland needs to be held accountable. accountable. We have to um, normalize weaponization and weaponize normalization. normalization yes. As Matt Chrisman just recently tweeted, I thought <laughs> it got... I was very tickled by. Um, anyway, what was I saying? Oh, yes. So, feminist activist mother... Um, her parents divorced when she was merely two. She grew up in several households, including her mom's like commune like household, mm-hmm. basically. Yeah. Which doesn't always turn out well. Well, that's a real 50 50. It's a it is a real 50 50 of either you are well adjusted AF or you've Dark. got a lot of yes. searching to do. Um, we were just watching a few weeks ago Bram Stoker's. Dracula. Yes. And what does this have to do with communes? The slutty friend in it. Oh, yes. Sadie Frost, Mm -hmm. Jude Law's ex-wife, lingerie designer. Was a commune. Was a commune kid. And um, it seems like a nightmare. Yes. Anyway. Maybe Bjork had a good time. Maybe. I mean, she seems fine. She went to music school when Mm -hmm. she was pretty young. um, And in the, the New Yorker quoted, she said, and mastered the flute well enough to play an atonal Finnish concerto whose name she has now forgotten. <laughs> you would think that a quick Google of atonal Finnish concerto would would get you there pretty quickly. I can see those being lost. But perhaps she simply could not time. be bothered. Yeah. bothered. <laughs> yeah, she's like, I don't know, I forgot. Uh, she enjoyed um, avant-garde classical compositions. And she did such things in her youth as uh, made beats from a tape of her grandfather snoring. 
and played drums with the accompaniment of a popcorn machine. Sure, I can imagine that very, very easily. Music is everywhere. Um, she then kind of turned semi away from classical music and toward pop music. She recorded a covers album at the age of eleven, um, and she got that opportunity from like a recording studio after uh, a Tina Turner cover of hers was played on Iceland's only radio station. <laughs> See, it's hard for me to to get whether how exceptional any of this is, considering how small Iceland is. That the it, it's hard for me to judge how just how special it is to be like an 11-year-old girl and get your song played on Iceland's radio station. Not saying that Bjork isn't exceptional or if people just knock on the front door and be like, yes, my daughter, she has a good recording. And they're like, <laughs> we're free at 11.15 this morning. We'll put it on. I feel like it's probably a little combination of both. I feel like the the smallness probably gives maybe more opportunity. Like especially for like in the mid seventies, like they yeah. maybe could have played a good portion of the eleven year old girls in Iceland at any given time on the mm-hmm. radio throughout the uh, throughout the given year. Yep. Uh, but then it's about leaving the island, yes. which is much harder to do. Yes. Uh, I have a link to that album if you want to play a little bit of it. Uh yes, where can I find it? Is it on uh YouTube? Let me chat it to you. It's not. It's on um a believe it or not, a blog called openculture.com. All right. Oh my god, look at 11-year-old Bjork. She looks amazing. <laughs> I don't know how to tell you that she she looks great other than she just does. Are any of these songs Maybe part of it? The, and the like the links? Yeah. Just play yeah, play whatever you want. Okay, great. This is Bjork right now. <laughs> it's her playing flute. Playing flute. This blog post spells it out. Bjork, whose name rhymes with work, not pork. Bjork. Bjork. Sounds good. I played flute when I was young. She's killing it. It has a sort of Nordic quality to it. All right. <laughs> oh, there's no vocals in this. You might have to skip around a little bit or like pick a different one. Although I could listen to this all day. That's very, it's very nice. Here we go. This would be 76 or 77? 77, something like that. totally uh, there you get that I'll, I'll include that link in the uh in the description um but as many people do you might grow up in the, thriving within the the structure of classical music but at some point you gotta spread your wings and fly so she went punk she did go punk 
she, you know, basically rejected the the uh, constraints of classical music. She was more interested in uh, the sort of the anti-authoritarian thing, but then also was at the same time of being like punk's rules also suck, <laughs> which I think is yeah. a problem of uh, being like, actually, uh, if the whole point is not to have rules, but you have rules for no rules. Yes. The rules are equally stupid. But she <laughs> of what use is that rule? Of what use is that rule? She played in a band, and this is actually one of the earlier facts that I knew about her called Tappy Tikaras, which means cork the bitch's ass <laughs> in Icelandic. And then her big her biggest band before Sugar Cubes was called Kukul, which means black magic. Yes, and they actually got some like play in some places, right? They signed to Crass, which is the UK punk label. The label um, of the crass. The label of the crass. I was so I was reading about some of her early stuff, and it struck me that it it was, seems like one of these things where she was just moving between different bands and organizations, and it was probably like the same like thirty people in the in yes. the scene, and they were all just forming and stopping bands, uh, forming and breaking up bands like every other week. It was just like Prague to throw it back to our Dave Wagle Prague episode of just being like, yeah, there's 30 people and they're just and they're shake them up in the bands. Yahtzee yeah. cup and then fling them out yes. and they'll be in a different band. She was in like seven different bands before she was 21 or something yeah. like that. Amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Apparently, uh, Cuckoo was the first band, first Icelandic band to play Roskilde, which is the uh, Danish the biggest Danish music festival. They made, they made it all the way to Denmark. Which is like, ah, that, <laughs> I think that's kind of crazy. Yeah. Denmark is close. Yes. <laughs> it's not like it's, they're not playing like, you know, Lollapalooza. It's yeah. just a short uh, boat ride away. <laughs> Maybe a flight. I don't know how they got there. I would actually, I would love to know how they got there. But, um, uh, so Kukul kind of like played, fizzled a little bit. Shoot. Is this Kukul? This is Kukul. I don't know if I'm actually pronouncing it. Kukul? I mean, we just have to assume that every thing we're pronouncing, we're pronouncing is wrong. Is wrong. I like, feel comfortable. Blanket with that. disclaimer. I mean, yeah, this is great. This fits right in with like that era, like post icy, post-punk, gothy sound. A little like Susie and the Banshees type. in the fade out sure um then she was part of starting an arctic collective okay called bad taste uh with some friends again the same people that she's circling in and out of uh bands with and the uh the mission statement of bad taste it was bad taste will use every imaginable and unimaginable method e.g inoculation extermination tasteless advertisements and announcements distribution and sale of common junk and excrement. <laughs> so they're kind of like a, like what post-capitalist, yeah, like, like, uh, <laughs> a, kind of like an ad busters, the, uh, yeah. commune mm-hmm. of, uh, sh- shock art. Sure. Uh, and what came out of bad taste was the sugar cubes, which Bjork wasn't, I don't think she was actually technically like the lead or the, um, the person who was like, 
uh, guiding that band. That was Einar Ern. <laughs> Einar Ern, who uh, the New Yorker article describes as a poetic prankster. Oh, a, a bad boy with a heart of gold. And at, at the time of the writing, said that uh, Einar Ern had um, released one of the weirdest rap albums in like recorded history. <laughs> which, I'm sure. <laughs> we could probably do a separate episode on that. So, yeah, sugar cubes. And I think at this point, it's probably worth noting just a little bit more history of Iceland, mainly which is that the isolation of Iceland is such that they really did not interact with the world in general until the 20th century. Right. And uh, the New Yorker article pinpoints there's a writer called Haldor Laxness who wrote a book called Independent People, which mm-hmm. won the uh, Nobel Prize. Oh, wow. Uh, novel that that won the Nobel Prize, which apparently sort of like introduced the world to Iceland. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for <laughs> they won they won best new nation <laughs> at the UN <laughs> new, summit new, in 1980. New nationality dropping, <laughs> <laughs> but so old. Yes, yeah, so I mean, old. so old. world's oldest democracy. World's oldest democracy. We we went to Iceland. We have traveled to Iceland. We've gone to Iceland as many people have. Yes, we have sampled their wares like. The Big Lebowski one. <laughs> I mean, it's not. I, ever, I don't. If you ever want to buy two hamburgers and two white Russians for $85, <laughs> there is a Big Lebowski themed restaurant in Reykjavik. That is pretty cool. I, w- the, I don't know if I've shared this on the pod. We've potted so long that I'm not sure whether I remember what we've done or what we haven't done. But we took this trip uh, not that long after we met each other. And I insisted once we rented the car, Iceland was the last trip on our European saga. And we rented the car and I was like, well, we should play some Icelandic music to kind of like set the mood. And it was the band Moom, M-U-M, with an accent somewhere in between. And a few nights later, we were like, Kind I of figuring that out night. that was it that night. Yeah. We were figuring out what to do, and we were in the Big Lebowski restaurant. We were in the Lebowski bar. We picked up the local Alt Weekly in print, in print, and we're like, "What's going on tonight?" And lo and behold, forty minutes from when we were reading it, it was listed in the back that Moom was playing a live musical accompaniment mm-hmm. to the famous German silent film "Mention on Sonntag," people on Sunday, people on Sunday. And like so we 35 went 35 feet from where we were eating. So we literally like finished up, paid our absurd bill, which I don't begrudge them for because I don't think you can even have a cow on it's Iceland. It's hard to get beef in Kahlua to Iceland. Yeah. So I I respect the hustle. Yes. But um yeah, that that to me I was like that is the magic of Iceland. It's like whatever Icelandic shit you want, it's probably yeah. there. But the the like second or third biggest Icelandic band is just like playing a free show less than a quarter mile away from where you're sitting on a random Tuesday night. It was wild. Um, and at, at the, I should to tie this back to Björk, uh, when she is working on Medulla, which mm-hmm. is the vocal album, as you said before, like her, her whole theme is like using the voice to mm-hmm. kind of create and carry the music. Uh, she's interested in the piece Hecla by John Leafs, which is, he is a Icelandic composer, basically like the modern Icelandic composer uh, who he, he was inspired by like ancient folk music, Icelandic folk music called Reimers, which are like epic folk ballads. Sure. Um, They love sagas in Iceland. But what else do you have in Iceland other than sagas? It's just like long periods. Yeah, well, long stories. 
Long and songs. He- Hecla is about the uh, the eruption of a titular volcano. The volcano he- Hecla. And it has been referred to as the loudest piece of music ever written. <laughs> <laughs> and great. so that's, you know, I think to I wanted to bring that up mostly because I think the New Yorker piece was trying to contextualize Bjork being from a country that had not that much interaction with the globe, but also that she has not forgot, you know, Icelandic music is still like something that continues to inform her even as she is a global citizen. As she becomes a global citizen, yes. Very global citizen. Global citizen, local roots. <laughs> yes. Dude, I wonder what Bjork's house in Reykjavik looks like. I bet it's baller. I bet it's sick, but probably not super ostentatious. Yeah. Because it, Iceland, as far as I remember, is not a very like high hedge zone. Like you can't mm-hmm. really like, I don't know. It would be weird if you like sheltered your house from view. You know what I mean? But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe she's like really has a compound are you looking it up bjork's quirky icelandic college cottage on the market on the market yeah how much this is from 2015 so i don't know if it's been bought it's in kroner yeah 28 million kroner this is from australia (laughs) so australian 20 266,000 australian dollars which i think is then would be slightly less less because I believe when we, I pay Haley for her art, it's slightly more Australian dollars than. It's like yeah, it's like I'm looking just, at the Canadian to book. Much, yeah. Too much. Anyway, math. anyway, back back to Björk. Uh, when she was twenty, she had a baby. Yes. With a fellow musician. With one of the guys from the Sugar Cubes, right? I don't know if he was Sugar. Cube. I actually di- did not clarify if he was a Sugar Cube or just a bad taste collective member or <laughs> something else. But um, she apparently. She played, uh, played. She performed on Icelandic television, and she was heavily pregnant. And she shocked the audiences because she looked so young, and mm-hmm. she like it, she had like an exposed midriff. And apparently, one viewer claimed that her appearance gave them a heart attack, <laughs> <laughs> which is insane. I'm like, I thought isolated people were like chill and modern, but yeah. I mean, she does have a, a very youthful appearance. So she I does. imagine 20 year old Bjork was pregnant, probably looked. Yes. The, I could, I could imagine how that might be unsettling because I would sure. say that she generally looks uh, 10 years younger than she is. Yeah. Um, and around the same time, I think shortly thereafter, after she had a, her baby, um, the Sugar Cubes had what was described in the New Yorker as a freak hit yeah. in England with the song Birthday. Should we listen to some Birthday? Yes. And this was 1987. This is Bjork hitting the international scene. This is... It's hard to wrap your mind around what the music landscape of the late 80s is. That I mean, this is like an international hit. I believe there's like a guy playing like a cornet on this song. Sure. get it it's 1987 or 88 you're chasing that um that kate bush high 
That's what I was going to say, is that this seems so indebted, whether accidentally or on purpose, to keep Bush. Yeah. And even here, like, her voice is, like, so unique and interesting and powerful. And what she's doing mm-hmm. with it is also unique and interesting and powerful. Yeah. But, yeah, the, the post-punk slash, like, the new, I guess, new romantic? Does yeah, that count? Yeah, maybe post-punk, new, rom- new wave, new romantic, goth. It's, like... Yeah, it's all coming together. Yeah. And it, I think it would might, you know, maybe a, someone, a smaller person would be like, that's my lane, but not be. Yes. <laughs> and then also uh, maybe the, even the novelty of being like, have you heard these guys? They sound like that other stuff they like that you like, mm-hmm. but they're from Iceland. They're from Iceland. That's the competitive edge. Yes. Uh, so that, the Sugar Cubes having some level of success. Also, Sugar Cubes, great band name. Great band name. Uh, Bjork had, I think she did three albums with them, but was also kind of outgrowing them at the same time. In mm. the same way that I think, you know, none of these early bands stuck because I think she was just trying to figure out her own thing. Yes. Well, it's, I mean, it's amazing. It's like 1991. <laughs> she still seems to be she's doing like that. 25 and she's been in like five, six bands and like had international travels with two of them. Or yeah. Something. yeah. Right. It's, it's, it's a lot. And has a four year old kid or something. Right. Um, so she, yeah, she went, officially goes solo. She starts recording solo stuff in 1990. Dude, I love going solo. Love going solo. Uh, and that's the jazz album, which again, like that is a kind of a weird, God, the 90s were so great. <laughs> this whole period. It's so nuts. Yeah. Like, I, I really don't know how to, I, I lived through the 90s. Well, it's the only time that something like this could really like come up in this way. Now, when you record a jazz album, people just think you're out of ideas. I feel like the real, <laughs> the people, we love dividing artistic moments into decades, but I feel like the real period that you want to look at, look at that's like all the seeds of creation and destruction of everything that came after it is like 85 to 95. Yeah. It's like the, the, the rise of like pre-internet. alternative rock. But pre-inter- yeah, pre-internet. The, yeah, basically la- uh, music's last gasp, but, but like electronic music becoming a real thing mm-hmm. and like punk kind of dying out but lending its last breath into like mainstream rock music and like the birth of hip-hop as like a real uh thing like that 85 to 95 i think that that is the the pivotal decade of music there should be a word for like off decades where it's like a decade but it's like halfway through an intercade intercade half demicade a demicade but demicade's just five that's five years i don't know i'm gonna i'm gonna stake out intercade all right just like uh, the hard and soft ice cream. Make yes. it a thing. Yes. Um, speaking of hip hop, uh, Bjork loved Public Enemy's Fear of a Black Planet. And apparently she used to take her boom box out into the Icelandic countryside to blast it at proper volume. <laughs> oh, my God. I would love I would love to do that. Boom box with uh, fight the power blaring. We've got to do some thinking about. Artists who have enough space, because I know there's obviously the genesis, like creative scenes from uh, creative scenes happening from density of population, mm-hmm. like cities and the the amenities that they give, but also like the void. Yes. You know what I mean? Because like Iceland is definitely like 
I, I, it's a good thing she's from Reykjavik because if she was from anywhere else in Iceland, that's like nothing. You know, no offense at, <laughs> to Iceland. I was looking at Bjork's other houses in Iceland, and one of them, rather apparently, rather infamously, is a cottage uh, that is the only structure on a large, like staggeringly ge- looking rocky island. Sure, it is like a field that juts up on both sides into a bizarre green parabola with sheer rock on either side and in the middle is like a single white cottage. Is this like Midsommar? Yeah, I've never seen like Midsommar. It. Yeah, there, I feel like there's maybe like... I'll, maybe this will be my extremely cryptic soon picture for, for this Ooh. episode. I mean, she is so uh, recognizable that anything... Yeah. Other, you, you, gotta, you gotta really hunt hard to find something obscure. I just chatted obscure. it to you. Great. Wait, hold on. Let me see. Sorry. <laughs> Uh, it is. Ex- it is. <laughs> Stop it! Oh God! <laughs> you didn't even do it justice. It is tiny. It's like a, a little tiny dot. house in an isolated but still verdant. Well, you'll see it. You'll recognize it after you have seen the soon Twitter picture. Follow us on this, Twitter yeah, at and, and intro pod. Um. So yeah, she's at this point in the '90s. This explosion of very exciting genres, which is like hip hop and then electronic music. She moves to London, which is a early nineties. Great time to experience electronic music. Uh, in yeah. England. Um, cool Britannica. <laughs> Britannia. 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 Uh, and starts making her solo albums are, you know, she obviously comes from a classical background, but she's making essentially like what I would call like avant-garde electronic pop music. Can yes. we listen to something off of debut? Yes, we can. You could not think of a more well-rounded like education. You know what I mean? Like she's punk. She's uh, classical. Like she has like she has, the like, technique, North, but she has the attitude. Yeah, northern folk traditions with like classical training. Yeah, and then like she's gets down really to into like electronic music right after her punk phase. Getting in, really into electronic music right after your punk phase is a a surefire way to excellence. Highly, highly evolved. Yeah, highly evolved. <laughs> it always leads to good, to good outcomes. You're just thinking of New Order. New Order, James Murphy. James Murphy. Bjork. 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 This is human behavior off of uh, debut. It's 1993. I was listening to this earlier today. Also, shades of Fiona Totally, yes. The jazz thing. Jazz. And hip-hop influences. Fiona Apple likes hip-hop. Is that a melody driven by a timpani, maybe? Or I, I was thinking, like, if it was upright bass? I don't know. Something. But yeah. It's good, it's catchy, it's weird. It's weird. I mean her voice that's it. That's the other thing is I think what gives her 
kind of the flexibility to do whatever she wants is her voice is insane. Yes. It's super unique and dare I say it, she might have the range. Uh her range is listed on Wikipedia, but I don't know what the textbook definition of the range is. But yeah, she. Well, well there is not, no textbook definition of the range. It's not just that the, the quality range. of her voice is interesting. It's what she chooses to do with it is always not what you is is interesting and yeah. unique to to her. She yeah. doesn't sing like anybody else. The New Yorker kind of push the New Yorker article pushes the opera angle because mm-hmm. she does listen. She's an opera listener. And she's, you know, I think saying that in her youth, saying opera. And one of the things they were pointing out was that, um, like, in opera, you basically can either sing, you, you want to sing with a lot of power and expression, but also then you lose the technical ability. Mm-hmm. And so the idea of, like, being able to express every feeling that you want to while also, like, maintaining the, like, uh, integrity of the notes is very hard. Mm-hmm. But, like, Bjork is clearly aware of that because yes. she's never totally out of control, even though she kind of sounds nuts sometimes. Yes. Yeah, but you could tell you could tell it's on purpose. She's not just like wilding. But that's an opera thing. Have you yeah. ever, have you ever gone to the opera? I've never been to the opera. <gasps> You've never been to the opera? Well, we should go when we're allowed to do things, and then when the opera returns uh, in 2022. <laughs> yeah, we I, we should go. Um, I wonder if they're streaming or if they wouldn't dare. Uh, uh, yeah, I but I want to go see one with uh, with bangers in it, like Barbara Seville or something. Bangers, okay, noted. But I'm there not, are a lot of bangers in opera. There's a lot of bangers in opera. I mean, it's it's long yeah, AF. I'm gonna see if uh if Spotify has a playlist called Opera Opera bangers. bangers. Oh my goodness. Yeah, it does. I'll investigate this later. Okay, great. Listeners, if you want to send me some opera bangers, please do. Yeah. Um. So at this point, she's also working with uh, producers like who are very uh, of the moment, like Tricky, who she also has a short relationship with, um, and Nellie Hooper, who was Massive Attack's producer. Yes. So she's also she's getting like the into guys sort of from the, 808 State and something like that. Mm-hmm, yeah. Getting into the like, you know, there's this like sort of electronic rock hybrid trip hop thing yes. happening and it's all in uh, as we were saying in the context of london in the mid 90s so it's like this this melange, melange. Of, uh, of new rock and and house music mm-hmm. and stuff like that yeah yeah will you play i really like army of me yes i think that's off post debut and then post army of me is off of post yeah all right here is army of me <laughs> I mean, come on. God, is this based off of the uh, When the Levy Breaks drum sample? Maybe. Yeah, this is great. This sounds like uh, it could be in the Matrix. It's It's frustrating, like... That stuff from the mid-90s still sounds like it has a more interesting view of the future and the future of music than what music now sounds like. Agreed. Which still sounds like it's trying to recreate something that came before it in a more interesting way. Yep. Like, mid-90s industrial and rock and, like... And hip-hop. And hip-hop. And and hip-hop. Is that yeah, a little is, orc hit in the back? Yeah. This 
definitely, you know, this is in conversation with uh, like Nine Inch Nails. Yeah, this rocks. I love a, a theme of her lyrics from this period is also very much like, hey, little bitch boy, stop being <laughs> such a little bitch. <laughs> if you complain once more, you'll meet an army of me. <laughs> Very cool. It's great. Yeah. I agree. Well, I mean, one of the, the people who I feel like still made future music that has not been like matched is Missy Elliott and Timbaland. Yes. Like, uh, didn't, <laughs> thinking of uh, the Arrested Development Tobias line where he says, I don't want to blame it all on 9-11, but it certainly didn't help. Yes. But I do think, unfortunately, for at least it? Americans, the like the concept of the future which I think maybe before it, before 9-11, people were thinking of it as a sort of like, you know, in the videos of like the the wind tunnel, like silvery wind yeah, tunnel. Yeah, the Hype Williams. The Hype Williams shit. Yeah, yeah. Where it's just like the future is going to be like, like kind of like going to space, but also like going online. Yes. And then it's like. But it's also going to be gritty because we're all real and it's like techno Because we're humans. Yeah, like we have humans, flesh yeah. and blood and like we were horny and sad, but like we're also like we're uploading our consciousness to this digital. And then I feel like 9-11 was just like, y'all are just. Yeah, it really is. It really is the inflection point. I mean, we'll, reality I feel like bites. we'll just keep coming back to this. Reality does bite. Reality do. And now it's and now we are all still all just living in the end of things and finding new ways to deal with it. Oh, I hope Bjork is doing okay during this time. I feel. I hope she's maybe she's quarantining on that <laughs> impossible island I just sent you. She's to. Like I've been baking a lot of sourdough <laughs> lately. <laughs> Making artisanal cocktails. But with, but with a unique sourdough I can only find in Ghana. <laughs> um, with influences of Ghanaian local sourdoughs. Oh my God. Uh, should we listen? This is where I'm, I'm thin on biological or a, a biographical, not biological. Well, I want to talk about two things yes. uh, that happened right, right here. Okay. The first is the rather infamous incident of... Um, her punching, almost assaulting that uh, paparazzi reporter in Singapore? I Singapore believe? or Thailand, yeah. Something like Southeast that. Southeast Asia. Mm -hmm. Which is still persists as a legendary, like, world star. celeb strike back world star. Yeah. Uh, because she was getting quite famous at this point. Yeah. Uh, and she apparently was being hounded by the paparazzi and asked them to back off and was going to Southeast Asia someplace and... This uh, reporter was all up in her business for several days, and there's just a uh, a rather infamous uh, YouTube clip or online clip mm -hmm. of of the the reporter like walks up and is like Bjork, welcome to welcome to Singapore, and J Bjork just like turns and just immediately punches just wails him. on her. Yeah, uh, her Bjork's account of it is that she that reporter had been hounding her for like five days. Yes, and maybe through multiple countries. Yes. Also, no charges were made I'm, I, I wonder if she paid her off maybe or maybe uh, who knows you know it's like tony soprano you send yeah. a guy to the hospital and he's like did you get my flowers yeah, exactly <laughs> uh and then the other thing i want to bring up from this time period is her assassination attempt yes was that the, were you going to get to that i i was going to bring it up as a uh not fun fun fact yes but yes 
Uh, at the end, but go on. Oh, at the very end? Chair. Yeah, this is like right after post-1996, something, something like that. Homogenic might also be out. Homogenic mm. might also be out. But um, uh, in 1996, a uh, fan from Florida mailed her a mail bomb full of sulfuric acid mm-hmm. that was intercepted by the police in London before it could get to her. That guy is a guy named Ricardo Lopez, and if you want a real grim uh, YouTube deep dive, all 20 hours of his home tape VHSs exploring his obsession with Bjork are on YouTube. Seriously? And I watched a few of them. Not all of them, but we skipped around a few of them before we started recording tonight. And uh, that is some, um, you know, that is, that is some wild, dark, like, snuff film stuff. Because How did it get out? It was released by the investigators to the press, and they're all still on YouTube, just YouTube Ricardo Lopez tapes. They're all there, all 20 hours, God damn. cut off immediately before he stops recording and shoots his head off. Right. Fuck. Jesus Christ. Uh, it's grim stuff. Yeah. Uh, but if you're into that kind of like dark, uh, dark gaze and any- soul stuff. <laughs> Has anyone done a true crime podcast on this? Uh, no, but honestly, like, Last podcast, guys. Uh, this this would be a good case mm-hmm. because there's so much material, and honestly, it's not even like it's it's super disjointed or stuff. Like I pulled one of these tapes up, skipped to a random part part in the middle, and he's talking about his love for Bjork or like if he could invent a time machine and go back and meet Bjork as a child. Or oh like, my god, it's very creepy. Yeah. Uh, but they're all there, and just saying, if you're the kind of person who likes that kind of stuff, the Ricardo Lopez tapes on YouTube are there. But let's. Not dwell on her attempted assassin. Let's go back to Bjork. Well, yeah, but I mean, it's it's funny. I do think that those two things are related. The assault of the paparazzo and the... I mean, this is totally me editorializing. It, uh, that and the this insane person who wanted to murder her and did kill himself. Is that like, I do think Bjork... <sighs> Did she, am I ascribing some kind of a, a like pixie foresight to her where it's like the pro, the paparazzi did become an insane force in the like late 90s and early 2000s. Especially and in, did, in Britain. And in Britain and for pop music. Not mm-hmm. that, Bj- listen, Bjork and Britney Spears, not the same person, but the paparazzi ruined Britney Spears' life from the inside out. Mm-hmm. They like to the point where she was so addled that she started dating a paparazzo mm. like the idea of the pop star as someone who not only is someone who is putting forth an artistic statement or an artistic vision of themselves but that vision then gets not just consumed by fans but then the access the illusion of access that paparazzi then take to the for this extent that they can of being like you are putting a certain slice of yourself out there we want all of you. Yes. And so I'm not trying to justify violence against anyone, uh, but I can maybe understand why she was maybe uh, deeply suspect of paparazzi, which actually does get mentioned in the New Yorker article. She gets followed around by Brazilian paparazzi because she is, yes. Punched, she assaulted a, a paparazzo again like 20 years later. Yes. I think she has a negative relationship with paparazzi. It happened in the exact same kind of incident happened again in like the early 2000s. I think she is deeply aware of and maybe in a way that maybe Americans aren't or, you know, people who became famous at a younger age, although she was kind of dialed toward musical stardom in that she had a, a album as an 11 year old. But if you are not careful, fame will eat you alive. 
And she knows that the, it's that is not the rewarding part of being an artist, even though I think it can get confusing. I think for some people, it might be the rewarding part. And she knows that it is a negative kind of energy mm-hmm. and she wants to reject it. And that happens in the form of violence, even though how tall is Bjork? She must be tiny. She's a I mean, the thing that gets lady. me about the Ricardo Lopez mm. and Bjork story is just thinking about, yeah, this improbable relationship of international fame and media mm-hmm. where it's like Bjork, this woman from like at this time, over her lifetime, a place that is going from a remote international backwater mm-hmm. to, again, over her lifetime, like top tourist destination in the world. Yeah. And that she is, through this time, an arc being like somebody who, if she'd been born 10 years earlier, probably would have no chance to be anything more than like a local folk singer yep. to international phenom. Mm-hmm. Uh, and coupled with the story of this guy who is like born in Uruguay and living in Hollywood, Florida, mm-hmm. becoming obsessed with her as a celebrity, mm-hmm. culminating in psychotically mailing her a mail bomb and like, like these a very t- late 20th century story of two bizarre points of international obscurity on a collision course with like international connectedness. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. Well, it's like, I mean, it's just, it's the, the dream is that you would have music that connects to people all over the world. But then the nightmare is that you would have music that makes drives people crazy Yeah, or not even music. It, it probably just is the, the whole of your, self yes and we'll we'll talk a little bit because i it does actually connect to the book and the value of the book is actually thinking of bjork as like an image yes because it is a it's a fucking she is an image it's a book of photography people mm-hmm. um anyway the bjork is an object bjork is, is your, your best, best friend. friend bjork, bjork will, will break, break your, your neck that's not bjork that's poppy maybe yeah. eventually we'll do poppy poppy got a grammy nomination this year for best metal song she did do some metal songs yes Folks, we love Poppy on we this. We do. We yep. stand. Um, the 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 only other thing I have uh, in written words from this time period worth noting is that uh, in the New York article, they the writer said musicologists are lining up to analyze what one scholar plausibly calls her anti and hyper pop. Hyper pop. Hyper pop. That's been in the news, which lately. has been Apparent- kind of like the genre of the year. Apparently, Charlie XCX invented it. I would say that we have been been edging towards hyper pop since basically since Max Martin moved to New York, right? We've been slouching slouching towards hyper slouching towards hyper pop. Um yeah, I, I mean the thing about hyper pop is that you could say it comes from anywhere. You could yeah, say I mean, the Beatles invented hyper pop. I mean the second that music start was hyper pop. The second that music becomes pop music, the second we're in M's words talking about pop, pop music. music. It is already on a trajectory towards being hyperpop because it is capitalism. It is the process of reinforcing itself to be more and more consumer-facing product from its very invention that can only accumulate more properties to make it more sellable, digestible, comestible, uh, relatable to, uh, obsessible over, Mm -hmm. um, commodified in a way that only reinforms itself. Like, pop music is hyper pop and just saying like oh damn this pop music is more pop music than ever is like <laughs> yeah that's what it does that's Yo, what dog, it does i heard, I heard you, you like, like pop music so we put more pop music in your pop music so yes. if you listen to pop music while you listen there to is pop no music. line where you can say ah we have left pop and become hyper pop 
just like there's no line where you can say we've left capitalism and become late stage capitalism or anything. Yeah. It's just like it's happening. Other than, of course, 9 11. It's, ha- it's happening all the time. It, more and more. Um, as Radiohead would say, ev- everything all the time. Everything all the time. Sorry, sorry yep. to, to bring up that specter. Or as horse ebooks would say, everything happens so much. <laughs> I feel like we're we're ba- we're just rapid firing references on this one. We were feeling referential, you know. The the we've been a little sparse on the pod just because I feel like I've been throwing a little more energy into Infinite Cast. I'm sorry, but we're we're back. We're, we're back. back, and we're better than ever. Bounce, bounce on out, bounce on out. <laughs> I would like to hear Bjork cover "Back, back in, in Black." black. Oh, that would be great. Yeah. Also think th- this is totally side note is that I think hyperpop is basically like a um like slightly off kilter genre title for just like queer pop music. Yeah. Because everyone has said like hyperpop is queer. So like but can you not say like, like queer pop? I guess but like pop is like very queer it has and like been. it has been for a long time even if people didn't want to admit it, you know. I don't know. I think that people are just desper- desperate we want say, new shit. To say things are new things. We want new shit. When things are just more of the things that they have been for <laughs> a long more. time. Yeah. Unless you're somebody like Bjork, who is constantly taking stuff and making it into new stuff. Although, because I honestly can't opine on her newest album because I haven't listened to it and I'm not deep enough Bjork fan to say if she's like still breaking new grand. I, I haven't listened to it either. And I so I really can't say as well. But the one thing that Bjork has been able to do which is not, I wouldn't even say reinvent. It's just like she has so much shit to draw from. And I think having like a deep knowledge and education of stuff is not, I don't think it's necessarily even very cool anymore because there's such a tendency to rail against splaining. Like no one wants to splain, right? No. Because splaining implies like you know something that the person doesn't. But having a deep knowledge of like many, many, many years of music history means that there are infinite combinations yes. to draw and many from. styles. Many styles. Yeah, she's always drawing um, from new origins and, and yeah, styles from it. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm going to play another Bjork song real quick. Uh, this is Alarm Call <gasps> off of yes. Homogenic. Great. Uh, which I play because I saw friend of the show, Matthew Perpetua and Chris Conroy uh, talking about it. Yeah, it's a banger. From her album, Follow the Post. Like vocal lines and riffs and still have it be catchy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say that she has a, her songs have a quality of like anti melody to them. Right. She's not following the obvious path. And it's also not. I mean, I'm sure if you listen to it many, many times, but it's not something that you can like listen to and be like, oh yeah, I've got. I'm, I'm gonna be humming that to myself. You know? <laughs> yeah. No. Right. Right. It's melodic, but it's not. Um, yeah, it, 
it's the, 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 the nugget is not necessarily in any particular like vocal range. And she is funny, as you're saying. Funny. Funny. I'm no fucking Buddhist. I'm no fucking Buddhist. <laughs> but this is enlightenment. In different places, she just like touches in on different artists of the era. Like I almost hear in some of the stuff like hints of Alanis Morissette, mm-hmm. but it's more like that. It, it's like you know, not to call her like a drunk driver or anything, but it's like a car swerving over like the the, the road of what is the lanes of what are possible here. And as she touches different lanes, I'm like, oh, that sounds like Alanis. Does. Yeah. But then Alanis does that lane all the time, you right. know. Not to call her a drunk driver. She's a musical drunk driver. She's a musical drunk driver. A responsible drunk driver. Yeah. I mean, you can you, drive you, drunk in Iceland. There's like one road and it's like round. It's pretty uh, straight. But yeah, you get you get that. I, I mean, I almost feel, because we're at like an hour 10 now, I almost feel like we should like wrap up on like the first half of Bjork's career and yeah, no, we should get into the, Bjork later. We should get into the Bjork. Yeah, but yeah, I, I don't have anything really biographically Because this brings us up Magilla. to like basically like 2000. And, and she's definitely had some, she's done some stuff. She's had some she's opinions. She's played like opera house, houses. She's in like political rallies. Yeah. After this. I mean. She was married to the visual artist Matthew Barney at the writing of the piece. She's now separated from him. I think made a uh, album b- about it. Uh, there are like this is only half of her discography that we're reviewing here. Right. She only does more more things. More things. More things. Once you get that that second letter J, you're in your in your mouth. It's hard to avoid it. For sure. Um, she she yeah she only does more Bjork. More Bjork. Uh, so. The only other thing I want to point out is that she she had a a two year old kid at the writing of the New Yorker profile. Mm-hmm. And with Matthew Barney, um, after, you know, she, I think her kid was almost college age. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the kid's name is Isadora Bjarka Dottir Barney. Because it's patronymic Makes, for yes. Icelandic. So she was the daughter of Go- Goodemans. Yes. And, and now. She gets the daughter. Yeah. That's that's feminism, baby. <laughs> uh, would you want our, our kid's middle name to be um, Mioli's Dottir? Oh. It would be Ob- Ob- O'Brien's daughter. Bjork's not her last name. Doesn't say. Did you say Bjork's daughter? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Ma- it would be Ma- Molly's daughter. <laughs> I don't know. We'll think. We'll think on it. <laughs> but yeah, let's, let's get into the Bjork. Uh, yeah, I was. I was ready to write this off as not vanity. Yeah. But uh, I mean, I don't know. It's not. It's 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 an art thing. I've anything in like the art world mm-hmm. i take with like many 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 grains of salt sure. because like i do think i do think like the art world is like kind of garbage i know that's, <laughs> a, that's not that's not a unique opinion but like the art world is basically just like another type of a commodity like yes huge, like commodities market right uh i'm if someone could start like an index fund of just like uh <laughs> of, of art of like contemporary painters just like a Damien Hurst at the <laughs> S- the the Damien Hurst 500. Um, so yeah, the, this book is mostly photographs. The photographs are very interesting. It does share the sort of depth and breadth of like Bjork's visual presentation, mm-hmm. which includes which the thing I want to kind of point out is 
her sort of digitization and digital manipulation of her image, which the, um, oh no. Okay, this guy, Rick Poynor, wrote an essay, pretty much the only words in the book, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) which we're trying to to do words. He said, uh, after he's contextualizing with David Bowie and David Bowie's many, many visual identities. Uh, So after him, from Boy George to Madonna, the sophisticated manipulation of self-image was now taken for granted as a crucial part of becoming a a contemporary star. And in within that context, Bjork is kind of like using not just cute photos of herself, but creating like an avatar of herself, which happens on her album covers, her single art, and a lot of her music videos. Uh, She's... At one point, she's on the uh, cover design for Army of Me. She's digitally transmuted to resemble the famous Japanese uh, manga character Astro Boy. Yes. Do you know Astro Boy? Of course, Astro Boy. A classic, like one of the original animes or mangas. One of the first? Yeah, I mean, like Astro Boy was a character, I believe, created in the, like, the 50s. Okay. Like this, he he's like the, I mean, real anime heads will will probably dispute this but as far as i as my brief knowledge of japanese art is he's like the mickey mouse of anime like the first one of the most enduring the you know a, a setting a mold for this type of art yeah. okay got of it of course i know who astro boy is i just i don't know anything about this stuff so i appreciate i appreciate to be educated um and so this this essayist rick poinor uh draws a parallel where he says um the digital Bjorks, meaning like the the sort of overtly digitally manipulated images of her, arrived at a time when there was much discussion in computer circles about the communicative potential of avatars. Simple digital characters, often cartoon-like, chosen to represent their users in online environments where the real person cannot be seen by others, a bit like a personal trademark. One of the attractions of using an avatar as an expression of an individual identity is that you are in no way bound to it. The possibilities for self-reinvention are limitless. It, very interesting. And this is like in 1994, 5, 6, something around the, that time, like very early age of online. Right, yeah. Well, and now we take for granted that, yeah, of course, when you log onto a site, you create an avatar. You have some kind of digital... Re- yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thinking of the mid to late 90s and the way that I think some people not didn't survive it, but their creative potential was maybe... Uh, I don't know. I'm just thinking of rock people in particular of just struggling to exit the late 90s with their dignity. (laughs) And I think Bjork is someone who seems like she has always been connected to the idea that like there is no adhering to any one thing in particular is death and to kind of flow in this way that I think makes sense in this proto-internet age is the only way to like kind of keep your career going without people wondering whether you're washed. Yeah, I mean, I think that that is something that is so uh, built into Bjork's uh, performance and and life is just constant transformation mm-hmm. as the project itself. It's not just like moving from phase to phase, but each individual phase is its own form of transformation. Yeah, yeah. And this as I also said however great her natural talent her strategy of self-presentation and self-preservation is an entirely logical response to the relentless inspection of the media's gaze mm. so it goes back to paparazzi right where i think if you create an avatar then the avatar is the thing 
and like don't bother me, the meat sack, Bjork, <laughs> which go which connects to Poppy. Right. Who who is, who is basically I who, mean she's not the avatar is the whole thing. The, she's like, I am the avatar. Like you don't know me. My like personal life is none you biz. Which, or is it like possibly non-existent because it's I don't know. From my understanding of Poppy, it's like is it? She seems like it might be like an art project created by something outside of Poppy. I don't know. Well, she go she, look at the, all the Poppy YouTube videos. We're gonna have to do an episode on Poppy. Once I would anything love to. Is written about Poppy. And the connection that then the essayist makes is to like the idea of the cyborg, which mm-hmm. is something that admittedly like there's a lot of like cyborg theory and like cyborg thoughts. Yeah, of course. That I am out of my depth in because it also has to do with like ability and uh, image and all that stuff. And also like identity, humanity, uh, like the essentialness of the person versus the object, stuff like that. Yeah. But that's the stuff that Bjork has basically been playing with in her personal image as seen throughout this book since the early 90s. Mm -hmm. Um, And yet there's also, even as I was flipping through that, there's also so much that's just like, here's Bjork in a cozy sweater. Like <laughs> in in like I like a, gra- a scenic grassy field. Iceland, Iceland does sweaters real good. Yeah, they do. I have one of those Icelandic sweaters. It is itchy. I think I need to wash it. <laughs> and also, it's literally never cold enough here for me to. That's the problem. Wear it. You buy you buy something abroad, and you're like totally, and then you go back home where you live, and you're like, it'd have to be like real, real cold to make this work, yeah. and you'd probably have to put some Uniqlo heat tech under it. Ooh, maybe that's why I'll wear for our post-Thanksgiving outdoor pile Sure, <laughs> sure. Uh, sp- speaking of the idea that there is also the image of just like wind-blown Bjork, uh, the photos of her over the years dramatize the collision of techno and nature that lies at the heart of the singer's work. <laughs> yes. Which is, again, I was just saying like the art world, I'm just like, just I roll my eyes a bit because... It, well, what is the art world if if not like academic, the academic interpretation of like visual? It's like academic and financial, two of my least favorite things. Yeah, yeah. And so like when you write an essay, you're just like, this really uh, unpacks the uh, uh, liminal space between the the visual aesthetic and the the digital identity. Well, I mean, that's a very fancy way of saying is that the thing that we've been tracking is that like as she it explodes into this world and becomes an avatar mm-hmm. of global citizenry. Yes. She still uh, explicitly through her own talking about her work keeps ta- coming back to like, no, this is one, this is, this is about Iceland. Like these, uh, these, the, these songs like harken back to like the physical reality of Iceland, the geographic experience. And like my, my experiences there, even as it's like, but I'm going to compose all these songs with, instrumentation from 20 different cultures spanning the entire globe yeah and i know we've we've talked about like appropriation we talked about like appropriation on this podcast before but she had an interesting comment in the new yorker article where she's basically talking about she's recording medulla it's vocal only she goes to brazil where her at the time husband is making a carnival like an artsy carnival float sure and there are these drummers and she's like, this is this fucking rocks. Like, I love this. Like, maybe I could use this on my album. And then she says, like, in particular, she's like, I don't I don't want to be colonial culinary. My brain says no, but my heart says yes. Like, she is aware of the idea of, like, just using an aesthetic for your own good without 
even being in communication with the culture that it comes from. Yeah, I guess there's something so unique about being from Iceland because you're like basically of from a backwater of the Western world, a mm-hmm. place where, you know, the far expanses of, of, again, going back to the medieval era, yeah, the far expanses, expansion of like the first burst of Western white expansion mm-hmm. went and like dropped off a bunch of people and were like, all right, have fun here and like left them for a thousand years. And then a thousand years, the like, a bunch of like Danish people sit back and like, we're Protestant now. Yeah. Oh, by the way, uh, <laughs> the Pope, he's n- no good anymore. Fuck that guy. And, and they're like, oh no. And then like, oh no, really? <laughs> and then, like 300 years later, it's like, oh, by the way, it's the industrial revolution. It's like, I think that that is something so unique about the like Icelandic, that gives her that kind of like Icelandic view of the world and the ability to almost be able to approach world the being a citizen of the world in a way that in a little way absolves you of some kind of the like worst sins of the Western world because you're not you're you're of it and you're a part of it. You're yes. you're uh um Nick from Great Gatsby, my favorite. Like, <laughs> you're within but without. Yeah. Yes. I think that's right. I mean, I think that's why she had, I mean, I don't know if if anyone has tried to cancel her for something other than uh, attacking paparazzi. Yes, or mail Uh, her sulfuric acid. Right. That that is the ultimate way to cancel someone is is to try to murder them. But I I would be curious to hear. But it is, yeah, she is in like a kind of unique position where, listen, she could only, she could live and breathe Icelandic shit, but she would never leave Iceland. Mm -hmm. So if at some point, you know, just thinking of her as like, I don't know, You've been watching a bunch of those alien movies. Yeah. You, you got to get off the, the planet. Yeah, you do. You got to, like, if your urge is to 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 leave and, that's and expand, about you, Iceland. Ga- that's you have to do it. That's why people like going there because it is like visiting another planet mm-hmm. in, its own, in its own way. Mm-hmm. And in that way, you can kind of, especially as I imagine, you know, Icelandic culture again, as starting as this backwater of, of Western civilization in the beginning of the 20th century and then s- slowly getting integrated back into it over, again, her lifetime. Mm-hmm. It's like a little bit like coming from an off-world colony back onto Earth. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, who knows? Maybe I'm over-exaggerating uh, like how isolated I- Iceland was in like the mid-70s or whatever. But, you know, that is how it is appreciated by other people when they visit there. Uh, and I'm sure to a certain extent that was the experience of most Icelandic people as like mass media became a thing as mm-hmm. um, a truly integrated world market became a thing mm-hmm. and they were brought back into it that, you know, she is like the person that flew back up the tube of the world market and became, you know, the, the Icelander who could absorb it all and put it back out. Yeah. I think, I mean, if you think of her now, I know we basically talked about the, the more or less the first half of her career. But if you think of the kind of place that she occupies now, which is, as you said before, the kind of person that you would hire to open the, the Olympics, Olympics, yes, where she's she's global, she's international, she's not just any one thing. She's a woman, which I think it has something to do with, you know, she definitely, the way she dresses and presents herself is not necessarily like feminine at all times, but like there's something about her as like, Maybe a mother figure yes. that makes sense to people. She's been a mother since she's twenty. Yeah, uh, like that all that all makes sense. 
the I think the easy cliche would just be like I don't know she's just some like art bitch who like wears like she like wears like she has like Swan. weird hair and yeah. and she's always going she's, she's traveling doing, to every album she's on some new weird thing she's always going to like some country and like talking with their like native chorus singers and like hiring them to do stuff and whatever but I'm just like yeah because who else is doing that right yeah. now nobody the the last thing I'll pull from the text is from the New Yorker New York- the New Yorker. Oh my God. The New Yorker article where uh, the writer says, after a while, the impulse to find a place for Bjork in the geography of popular, classical, art, folk, Icelandic, or non-Icelandic music seems fussy. What's most precious in her work is the glimpse that it affords in flashing moments of a future world in which the ideologies, teleologies, style wars, and subdivisions that have so defined music in the past hundred years slip away. Music is restored to its original bliss, free of both the fear of pretension that limits popular music and of the fear of vulgarity that limits classical music. The creative artist once more moves along an unbroken continuum from folk to art and back again. So far, though, this utopia has only one inhabitant. Yes, there is no Bjork, but Bjork. She is also like. She is an island. She is an island. She's a lone reed. She's a lone reed. Uh, She is also like, in that way, the perfect cyberpunk artist that she uh, inhabits an interconnected future that is still nonetheless like subdivided into folk categories Mm -hmm. that was long prophesized to be everything totalizing Mm -hmm. but still only occurs in these specific cultural moments yeah and bjork is her own cultural moment yeah respect respect uh i should listen to more bjork yeah i would like to get into it more more bjork uh and then eventually like if she ever does like a big memoir or something we'll like come back to her and do the latter half we'll try to get her on the the fucking podcast oh my god i that would anybody knows (laughs) never happen um I'm also excited about this. She is doing one of her rare, but usually considered good acting appearances. Right, yeah. In an upcoming Robert Eggers movie mm-hmm. of The Vivitch. And uh, Love the, Vivitch. the uh, lighthouse creator is doing a 10th century Icelandic saga about a prince who seeks revenge after his father is murdered. Uh, presumably filming in Iceland, written by, I believe, an Icelandic, co-written by an Icelandic person. Good. Hopefully embracing all of his, Eggers' sparse, dramatic filmmaking, mm-hmm. in which Bjork plays a character credited as the Slav Witch. <laughs> Excellent. So I can't wait. It's going to be great. Is it, did you say, is it in production, pre-production? It's in production. It's upcoming. It, okay. It's happening. All right. All right. That's so that's something to look forward to from Bjork. That's probably the next time I will see Bjork and in do, person <laughs> and do the uh, the Leonardo DiCaprio in Once Upon a Time in the Hollywood holding the beer, pointing at the screen, going, That's Bjork. Bjork. That's Bjork. That's Bjork. Whispers to date. That's Bjork. We'll, we'll whisper to each other and bump our noses against each other. That's Bjork. <laughs> uh, should we move confidently into the end part of this episode? We, we sure, sh- we sure should. We'll, we'll close the Bjork Bjork here. Uh, and say there's always more from Bjork. I, again, this this is one where I feel like we, this is a very brief overview. We, we an essay, of, an essay at, at at trying to get into the 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 vastness that is Bjork's work because mm-hmm. she has so many fucking things. Again, so many I, things. I reference at the beginning. She's like had a retrospective at the MoMA and like done opera tours and 
Yeah. Like, she's always being asked to do like sa- things for her soundtracks and she's like doing doing some activism yes. always a little bit. All, oh all yeah, kinds I referenced the the Canadian thing. Apparently Canadian company bought out one of Iceland's premier geothermal energy plants. I, I believe it, it's called a, a company called Magma Canada and she like it was a big opponent of that and trying to get you know, can maintain Icelandic control over its own geothermal energy. Hey. And what was the thing that you were telling me about independence? Oh, she has a song called Declare Independence that at live shows for over the past at least like decade, she has dedicated to whoever happens to be fighting for independence at the time, whether that might be, you know, uh, the Faroe Islands or in Greenland. Denmark yeah. uh, or Gr- Greenland, excuse me, uh, or, you know, to her, her uh, disgrace, her Chinese disgrace in Shanghai for Tibet. <laughs> she declared, she played a show in China and declared, declare or uh, dedicated declare independence to Tibet, which the Chinese media was deeply upset at that. Yes. I think they called her like rude. <laughs> <laughs> but which, I'm sure in like a Chinese term for rude, that, that means something like close to a death threat. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah no, she, she's always, she's down to do, she's down to declare independence. If, if people are down, uh, Catalonia, I think was maybe the most oh, yeah. recent one. Yeah. Uh, RIP to live shows right now. When, what next independence will she declare? Uh, independence from COVID. <laughs> for the, Ameri- for the uh, not American, the, the world people. There the are global citizens. I mean, there are countries right now where they are fully having shows and festivals. And we are getting ready to premiere, prepare a two-person Thanksgiving. <laughs> okay, well, let's move into the end part of the episode because we have a few bits of business to attend to. I believe, Molly, you had a... Uh, an email that you would like. Speaking of global citizens, speaking of global citizens, it's the theme for this uh, this episode. We had a listener um, from Serbia who emailed us, and uh, I'm I feel so honored to have a, a Serbian listener. That they were talking about our bad songs episode where mm-hmm. we it's uh, a few few apps ago, yeah, uh, saying um, <laughs> uh, uh, it's pretty funny that a good chunk of the songs I was into in high school ended up on that list, which is honestly fair. Most of the so-called indie pop hits really weren't that great, even if I do enjoy some of them to this day. I, I think that's, you know, uh, part of the, the badness is in the un- inescapableness. The earworminess of them. Earworminess. I mean, th- I believe that we talked about on that episode that uh, for me, a uh, the, like the, the, the true badness of a song is both the intersection of lack of quality, but also inescapableness. Yeah. Uh, and they also said they wanted to try and de- try and defend uh, "Don't Stop Believing," not in a really insightful way, just in that I really dig the mood of it and wish to share that with you. Which you know what? Yeah, I understand. I mean, I get it. That's why I persist because the vibe of that is something that people want to believe in. But I just that song is just so it's such a dredge to get through. It's been perverted by pop culture. It's like a funhouse mirror of pop- itself. Pop culture has only diminished its yeah. shine. Versus some some things get better with pop cultural yeah, moments. And exactly. I would say Journey's journey is not a positive journey. It's a negative journey. That we are about, we are very close to get hitting one of its most uh, important pop cultural uses because we are like two episodes out of finishing our run through The Sopranos. We're so close. We're we so know close. it's coming. And that's the thing. We know what the end is. We just got to see how we get there. I saw the I saw the end before I saw the beginning. I think the first thing I ever watched of Sopranos was, was the, the final end, scene because people were mad about it. Well, they were they were all all excited, yes. all all enervated. 
anyway, that th- thank you for uh, thank you for emailing from Serbia. That that simply rules. Yes, I'd love thank to go you. to Serbia. I w- yeah, th- I I very much appreciate our Serbian fandom. Number one music podcast in Serbia. Let's make it happen. <laughs> one, yeah, let's get some number one, baby. Uh, choose this, fam. Uh, <laughs> anyway, we'll go in to the ending patter. Uh, Molly, mm-hmm. do you have any plugs? Do, do, do. Not really any plugs. You can follow me on. Molly, why do I always have the... to do your plugs for you? What, what do you you appeared plug? on a podcast recently. I, wait, which which podcast? A podcast that we have Feel... to plug on this show. Wait, what? A podcast done by somebody who's probably referenced more oh, man, on this uh, show than anyone sorry, else. My, bra- my brain, my head. I had I had a martini during this um, podcast recording, which is not my normal podcasting beverage, and it's making me slow. <laughs> keep your po- keep your plug straight. I went on Friend of the Pod, Matthew Perpetua's brand spanking a new podcast called Flux Pod. It can be found wherever podcasts are found. Just search Flux Pod or yeah. Matthew Perpetua podcast. Perpetua Flux Pod, Flux Pod F-L-U-X-P-O-D. Uh, He's at Perpetua on Twitter. We mention him all the time in the show. He he's is, been on a couple times. He's, he's one of the main pr- people we talk about music with yes in real life so he's got uh, a great mind and great taste and guests and i'm completely excluding myself from this particular narrative he also had friends of the pod rob sheffield and britney spanos on. Get rob on that at some point well rob is our white whale uh really it's really good uh i would highly recommend it britney spanos talked about the red hot chili peppers and the sort of like potential renaissance of old bands on like in for gen z rob sheffield talked about uh, a lot of shit <laughs> uh, you, like the, the, the new the evolving nature of listening to music in a time of social isolation yeah which was a uh a conversation i felt it's, it's much more freeform conversations about music but they're all really interesting if you like this, you'll like that. I think you'll like that. Um, I talk. I started talking about sad, sad girls in music, and ended up talking about merch. Yeah. It's a, it's a more freewheeling. We're pretty freewheeling here, but we also have a text that we have to stick to. Yes, stick uh, to the script. Ish. Anyway, yes. Yeah, sorry, I totally fucking forgot. Yeah. Go, go do go, that. Go listen to Flexpod. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you, if you like this, you'll like that. And, um, you know, I, I want to build out the help, help build out the, this s- small but growing family of, of. Music pods Pured. from our friend pod. Podcast. 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 Um, but otherwise, you can follow Molly on Twitter at Miss Molly Mary. You can follow me on Twitter at Say What Again. You can follow us on Twitter at And Intro Pod or send us an email at AndIntroducingPod at gmail.com. And mm-hmm. if you do, as Molly said, just did, you might get a read on the show. You don't have to be from Serbia. If you are part of our growing Serbian <laughs> army. But. We take we take all comers. We take all comers, just like Bjork. All nations. Uh, we are global citizens. <laughs> mm-hmm. The number one music podcast of the global citizen. Mm-hmm. Uh, our SoundCloud is as always at soundcloud.com slash and dash intro dash. Sorry, dash pod. <laughs> soundcloud.com slash and dash intro dash pod uh, and review us or on iTunes or whatever, but mostly. Tell a friend if you listen to the show. Tell a friend. Sorry. That's pretty good, actually. Tell a um, friend. I feel like I've been lying by saying we'll be back in two weeks recently. We've been pretty much like a, at a tri-weekly. Uh, this is now, I would say, an a semi, an infrequent mu- music pod. A fun surprise. A fun surprise whenever it comes out. In your RSS feed. <laughs> yes. Uh, but we will be back soon with more episodes. 
Uh, always more musicians to talk about. Always soon. Always soon. 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 Okay, that's it. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. <laughs>